Virtual Time Machine Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. Good jobs, a healthy environment, a high quality of life for us and for our children. That's what we all want, right? And it's definitely on our mind every day, especially now there just seems to be so much conflicting views on this apparent struggle between the environment and the economy. So we all want to know what to do. We all want to know what's the right path to choose. How are we going to know that? How do we make the right choices for today and for the future? Well, the Virtual Time Machine offers answers. Here we share insights, knowledge, solutions. It starts with understanding systems and the cumulative effects of people interacting with their environment and the economies they create. Welcome to the Virtual Time Machine Podcast, Season 2, making time travel a reality so we can learn from the past and create the future. Here's your host, systems ecologist, Barry Wilson. Now, it's a myth that to travel through time, you somehow have to go through some kind of magic science, slip through a wormhole, uh, apply Einstein's E equals MC squared, it's not true. Let's step into the virtual time machine. We transport ourselves through time without our physical bodies moving all the time. We do it by using stories, our imagination, scientific data, and we've actually done it forever. It's this unique ability that separates people from the rest of the animal kingdom. And I believe it's actually part of what's made us become the dominant species on Earth. Now, the virtual time machine exists in our mind, but we call it some different things other than that. We say it's hindsight, which is the ability to look back and learn from our experience or draw upon the traditional knowledge of our ancestors. Or we call it foresight, which is imagining a future that does not yet exist and understanding then the steps needed to reverse engineer us getting from here to there. Now there's many time machines that we actually use to trigger our virtual time machines. Think of books, movies, spreadsheets, um, Campfire stories, computer simulation models, one of my favorites, or very simply, just our imaginations. These are all time machines that allow us to move from one point in time to another very easily. I'm Barry Wilson. I'm a systems ecologist and the host of this podcast. You can also find much more information about me and from me at my website, barryjwilson.com. And please also check out my YouTube channel, where this podcast is actually also being broadcast. Um, sometimes it's hard to find those YouTube channels, 
So I made an easy link to it. Just type in, go to your web browser and type in barryjwilson.online and that will take you straight to the YouTube channel. Now, as a systems ecologist, I always start with the end in mind, kind of like in strategic planning where you're thinking about your vision of the future. So I start with understanding that I'm trying to design a future that I want. And then I apply a systems understanding that everything is connected. Oh, and let's dispel another myth here. It's common to think that an ecologist is only concerned with the environment. The reality is, is that ecology is a branch of science that really concerns itself with the interrelationship of organi organisms and their surroundings, sometimes called environment, but really it's their surroundings or the things that are affecting them. Now, systems ecology is a multidisciplinary subset of e ecology that explores the interconnections of people and their environment. And, you know, our economies, environment sometimes gets to be a confusing word, but our economies and our culture are very much a part of our environment. Think of it not as sort of the physical stuff we think about with environment today, like trees and water and that, but just all of the forces that are around us, the space that we exist in, and our economies and our culture are very important parts of that. And the reality is, is that all of these different systems, including our economy, our culture, our population, our consumption habits, those are all connected. And so you can't really understand ecology without understanding all of these systems. Makes sense, right? And the result of the interactions of all of these systems, the outcomes, is really in essence what we call cumulative effects. And that's that term cumulative effects is soon going to be as common a household name as climate change. Why do I say that? Well, here's why. First of all, we've moved into this geologic epoch, a time in Earth's history that we're calling the Anthropocene, which just means it's from anthropogenic, which means human caused or human dominated. So the Anthropocene is a time where humans have become the dominant force of change on the planet. And also we're realizing that this, because of this, the scarcity and, and the way that we convert natural resources to meet our needs, the scarcity of those natural resources is on the rise. And there are two important factors to think about with respect to that. First of all, planet Earth is a finite, has a finite set of natural resources available. They're not increasing. Okay, so we have what we have. And the second factor is that humans are increasing in number. There's more of us. And our per capita consumption, how much we use, each one of us, is rising at an unprecedented level. So there's more of us, and we're consuming more per person than ever before. So when you 
think about that against the fact that we've got a finite set of resources and our consumption is on the increase, both by more of us and the, our rate of consumption, well, we can see that we're running out of room. And this really started to take hold uh, with the arrival of the industrial age. When we increased our technology and our ability, our power to convert the Earth's natural resources into things like commodities that we want to use to improve our quality of life. Uh, and it's true that in the industrial age, we've improved our quality of life beyond anything seen before, for sure. But what we're really starting to realize now is that the patterns, the processes, the approaches of the last 200 years since industrialization, uh, it's not going to be able to serve our future needs because there's not enough resources to keep going with business as usual. It, it won't, we won't be able to sustain ourselves if we just keep doing what we've always been doing. Sustained growth driven by increasing consumption in a finite system, it's just not simply possible. And here's how I can prove that. It's through the concept of the conservation of mass and energy. So there's a scientific law called the conservation of mass. It was discovered by Antoine Lavoisier in 1785. In its most compact form, it states that matter is neither created nor destroyed. Okay, It's finite. It is what it is. The amount that we have isn't changing. And then in 1842, Julius Robert Meyer discovered the law of conservation of energy. And in you know, a more simple form, it's really known now as the first law of thermodynamics, which basically states that energy is neither created nor destroyed. So we have matter and energy neither being created or destroyed. Albert Einstein brought together through his research work uh, on the, the theory of relativity and E equals MC squared, these two laws. And they were basically, in the, you know, in the science thinking, merged into the law of conservation and of mass and energy. And what, what that says is that the total amount of mass and energy in the universe is constant. Okay? So we know it's not increasing, but our rate of using it and converting it into other things that we end up throwing away is on the rise. And so eventually, that's going to run out. So here's where our time machines that allow us to look into the future become incredibly valuable. They give us the opportunity to think ahead and design the future that we want. I don't think any of us wants to run out of resources and then have the pain, suffering, and anguish that will come with that. Um, the reality is we're probably not going to be able to move to another planet either. That's not going to be a solution. 
and especially when human population growth is increasing at an exponential rate, another planet is, it, it won't be the long-term solution. It'll hold things off for maybe for a little while, but that's it. Our future doesn't have to be that bleak. All we really need to do is use our unique gift of foresight. So we can think about things like our rate of consumption today and come up with alternative ways through technology, new ideas, um, conservation, just more effort into being more efficient with the resources that we've got, like energy, um, using uh, non-stop sources of energy that are coming from outside the Earth's system like the Sun as a perfect example. We are the only animals able to imagine a future that does not yet exist and then be able to reverse engineer the steps needed to get there. This system's understanding is in essence cumulative effects. This episode of the Virtual Time Machine podcast is sponsored by the CE Analytic Cumulative Effects Conference and Awards Gala, February 26th and 27th, 2019, in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. Be in the room. You can learn more about the conference at cfxconference.com. Every day we become more and more aware of the consequences of human interaction with the Earth's systems and how those relationships directly affect our quality of life. We are at a unique point in our history where we still have the opportunity to write our own story, rather than simply accepting business as usual. We've gathered together top thought leaders and innovators to share their answers on cumulative effects with you. It's the latest systems thinking, technology, solution, policy, and rules, what's working and what isn't. Make sure you are in the room and part of the conversation. Be a part of the most talked about cumulative effects event of the year. Take advantage of the opportunity for, to hear from change makers who are finding solutions and sharing their answers. Secure your seat now, be engaged, be an influencer, be in the room. CFXConference.com So I want to explore this concept of cumulative effects and how it is connected to systems thinking a little bit closer. If you Google cumulative effects, you're going to typically find a definition from environmental impact assessment rules, law, legislation, regulations, practitioner guides. 
And if you read that, you're going to believe that cumulative effects are something negative that need to be minimized or mitigated. It's, it's just the bad stuff that's left over that we can't do anything about. Well, it's pretty obvious, right? That's only just like one side of the equation. It's actually leading us to talk about the things that we don't want instead of reaching for and designing for what we do want. So that old definition of cumulative effects, that's business as usual, and it's inadequate at best because it's only telling a portion of the story. And this, honestly, I think, is why there's so much conflict and argument over new land use developments, things like pipelines. We're talking about the things we don't want instead of talking about the things that we do want. So to figure out how to get what we want, we start with this very deep wisdom that all things are connected. Let's face it, our ancestors have known this for millennia. And the reality is indigenous people are always reminding us of this holistic reality. We live in and we are part of thousands of systems that are constantly changing and interacting. And the world that we experience is the cumulative effect of all of those interactions. Let's listen now to a, an interview I did with Dr. Michael Sullivan, who's a fisheries biologist, and he explains holistic cumulative effects, this idea that all of these things interact very clearly and simply. So today we're talking with Michael Sullivan, who is fishery science specialist at Alberta Environment and Parks. And he will be uh, one of our special guest speakers at the CE Analytic Cumulative Effects Conference 2019 in Kamloops, February 26th and 27th. Thank you for spending some time with us to share some ideas here today, Michael. Oh, no problem. It's fun. Yeah. From your perspective as a fisheries specialist, um, what does holistic cumulative effects mean? Well, holistic is the big picture of a, a system, the big picture, not just a single species like, like caribou, but the whole group of interactive things that affect caribou. Like I like to backcountry ski in the mountains. If I ski yeah. into a remote valley, wolves will follow my pack trail and kill the caribou. If I'm banned from going into that valley, I'll go elsewhere and have some effect there. <laughs> the caribou might be the focus of what we're working on, right. but the holistic cumulative effects involves caribou, wolves, skiers, the critters in the other valley I go to, the ski shop that made my skis, and the restaurant that I ate at to get to the other valley. Holistic means the big picture complexity, not the little pieces. And the system never has bounds. It always fades out. It's, it can be what are the most important pieces that are affecting the things you value? That's holistic, right. the big picture. Yeah. In, in your mind, how could we do a better job of taking this holistic perspective and bringing it into management? Yeah, you're exactly right. Usually scientists, planners, we focus on a single problem, caribou conservation or bull trout recovery. And, and really, Western scientists like me, we have an absolutely awesome track record of learning about nature by breaking it down into its component pieces and studying each piece. Wonderful track record. We have a totally less than stellar track record of fixing a big system by fixing the tiny pieces. In, right. in my experience, traditional peoples often has a worldview that starts with looking at the big picture. So my colleagues and I, were really trying to work on a technique, a techniques, 
to look at that big picture and figure out what essential parts are the most broken and what fixes are actually needed to get that recovery in the big system. What can we tweak to make that big system work? But our focus has got to be much broader than our traditional Western science view. So if I'm hearing you right, we're, we're working on managing the parts and some of the, the drivers of change, but with an intent of an outcome at the full system level. You have to keep your eye on the goal. How do you recover bull trout, not how do you get the willows along that creek to grow? We're really good at the little pieces. We lose right. track of the big picture. We don't have a good track record of that. I think, yeah, the traditional people I've often worked with, um, the Cree people, especially in northern Alberta and Saskatchewan, tend to view systems from that picture, the big picture at the start. And I think what we're trying to do is sort of link those two together. Western science's best parts with the, the overview of the Aboriginal folks. Yeah, I think John Muir said it very well, and he was reflecting on uh, the Indigenous perspective that um, when you reach into the world and pull on anything, you find out that everything is connected. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what's all this got to do with jobs versus the environment? Well, the answer is that the functioning of a system doesn't automatically improve if you, if you, first of all, just try to disconnect the parts and work on them independently. The second part of that is really that sustainability, the thing that we're reaching for, is the product of all of those interacting parts. It's, it's the product of the interaction of people and our environment and the economies that we've created. Now, the only way that we can achieve sustainability is by understanding how each of the parts are interdependent and how their combined effect creates the unique system property that we think of as sustainability. And incidentally, it's also prosperity. So have a listen here to Russell Acoff. He was truly a systems thinker and he describes systems and the cumulative effects of their outcomes so very clearly in this presentation he made in 1994 when he was talking about continuous improvement. The system as a whole, spelled with a W, that consists of parts, each of which can affect its behavior or its properties. You, for example, are a biological system called an organism, and you consist of parts, your heart, your lungs, your stomach, pancreas, and so on, each of which can affect your behavior or your properties. The second requirement is that each part of the system, when it affects the system, is dependent for its effect on some other part. In other words, the parts are interdependent. No part of the system or collection of parts of a system has an independent effect on it. Therefore, the way the heart affects you depends on what the lungs are doing and the brain is doing. The parts are all interconnected. And therefore, a system as a whole that cannot be divided into independent parts. Now, that has some very, very important implications that are generally overlooked. First, the essential or defining properties of any system are properties of the whole which none of its parts have. For example, a very elementary system you are familiar with is an automobile. The essential property of an automobile is it can carry you from one place to another. No part of an automobile can do that. 
the wheel can't, the axle can't, the seat can't, the motor can't. The motor can't even carry itself from one place to another. But the automobile can. You have certain characteristics, the most important of which is life. None of your parts live. You have life. You can write. Your hand can't write. That's easy to demonstrate. Cut it off and put it on the table and watch what it does. <laughs> Nothing. You can see. Your eye can't see. You can think. Your brain can't think. And therefore, when a system is taken apart, it loses its essential properties. If I bring an automobile into this room and disassemble it, Although every single part's in this room, I don't have an automobile. Because the system is not the sum of the behavior of its parts, it's the product of their interactions. And that's been said here in many ways over and over today. Now, what does that mean? If we have a system of improvement that's directed at improving the parts taken separately, you can be absolutely sure that the performance of the whole will not be improved. And that can be rigorously proven. But most applications of improvement programs are directed at improving the parts taken separately, not the whole. The proof is complex, and I won't bore you with it. Let's just take a simple example. I read in the New York Times recently that 457 different automobiles are available in the United States. Let's buy one of each and bring them into a large garage. Let's then hire 200 of the best automotive engineers in the world and ask them to determine which car has the best engine. Suppose they come back and say the Rolls-Royce has the best engine. Make a note of it. Which one has the best transmission, we ask them, and they go run tests and come back and say the Mercedes does. Which one has the best battery? Come back and say the Buick does. And one by one, for every part required for an automobile, they tell us which is the best one available. Now we take that list, give it back to them, and say remove those parts from those cars, put them together into the best possible automobile. Because now we'll have an automobile consisting of all the best parts. What do we get? You don't even get an automobile. For the obvious reason that the parts don't fit. The performance of the system depends on how the parts fit, not how they act taken separately. So the solutions for a prosperous and sustainable future can be found. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm very, very optimistic. This is not a chicken little scenario where it's doom and gloom. We can figure it out. But we're, to do it, we're going to have to start with the systems understanding so that we can design the future that we want and not be stuck with business as usual. Until the next episode, I invite you to connect with me online through my website at barryjwilson.com. And I also invite you to be in the room at the CE Analytic Cumulative Effects Conference and Awards Gala. Go to cfxconference.com, learn more, and reserve your seat.